and welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have an, an amazing guest on from England and she is a seemingly talented author with a background in education and I cannot wait to share her with you. But first we have to stop for our usual advert with Marianne Curley and with the, the advert for her book The Shadow, part of the Time Guardian series. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself, the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge and vilify the immortal's plan for world domination, that Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice, should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave. As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? This is also a quick reminder that um, Rosemary Rao is giving a most of her uh, royalties of the price of freedom, the Roman British Prime series, to the Ukraine crisis. So if you can spare a couple of pounds, then pick up the price of freedom by Rosemary Rao, and her agent has actually do- uh, donated her entire commission uh, to help the refugees and uh, help Ukraine with its uh, crisis. So please uh, take a minute to stop by and uh, see what you can do to help. And welcome, Jennifer Saint. I am praying I've said that correctly. You have, yeah, hi. I've had a couple of people come on and I always do this. I always forget to like check the pronunciation of the name. <laughs> before I yeah, no, my, mine's, mine's quite easy, I think. I've had a few that I've thought, oh, that's really easy. And then I've got on and particularly American authors and you actually pronounce it totally differently to how it's written down. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but you said it just right. So that's fine. Awesome. Um, so I looked at your, your covers when I was looking for amazing people to invite on the show and I just, I fell in love with them. And I actually found you through... Um, Lauren Owen's upcoming book Small Angels um, and I was yeah. kind of friend was sending me different different links and stuff and I saw your name and I looked you up and I thought oh wow those are so pretty so do you want to like tell us a little bit about your books um, and then maybe what inspired you to write them yeah I mean I, I'll say I um, absolutely love Small Angels by the way I got sent a proof copy of it and really really enjoyed it so it's nice to know that that's how you found mine um, and the the covers are spectacular they're both designed by Michaela Alcano who actually won the British Book Designer of the Year award at the, at the British Book Awards this year so um, so I was really really delighted for her because she is so talented um, and Ariadne my first book was was one of her submissions for that award and I think she just did such an amazing amazing job and they are she, she's created book covers that really jump off the shelves and reflect so much about the books as well because she reads she reads an early draft um 
and then she weaves so many details into her design. So my first novel, Ariadne, um, tells the story of um, Theseus and the Minotaur, which is obviously a very familiar Greek myth to so many people um, that most people encounter in childhood. But I've told it from the perspective of the woman who actually made that story happen. And that's the story of Ariadne, who gave Theseus the thread to lead him safely out of the labyrinth. And, and that's, that's the angle that I take with my novels, that I'm retelling Greek mythology, but I'm casting it in a, in a, a, from a feminist perspective, um, so, that, so that these are books that are told, these are familiar stories that are told from the perspectives of women, centering the female characters and, and pulling them back from the sidelines, from the shadows, from these kind of one-dimensional, narrow, stereotypical portrayals of women as sort of seductresses or helpless princesses or villains or whatever it is, um, and, yeah. and humanising them and uh, presenting them as women with, a, with their own stories to tell. And that, that's so great because I think a lot of the time that these stories were created, it was a very male-dominated voice that we all heard. And I think because at that time, women were sort of, I don't want to say second-class citizens, but that is exactly what we oh, yeah. were back then. <laughs> so it's nice to hear that women's voices are being raised up and that we can actually have our voices heard, but in that time period and in that you know, sort of time when everything was different. And I think you're kind of giving people an opportunity to see it from a different way and it allows women to have to feel like their voices is being heard which is fantastic because i think a lot of us feel when we read books well wait why is a woman doing that or why is she forced to do that like we all ask that question um so it's great to have that answer so yeah i i loved i just loved what you were doing with it i just got so giddy and excited so yeah oh, thank you <laughs> and you're a fascinating background because well if our listeners don't know you uh you have a lifelong fascination with greek mythology you went and did classic studies at the king's college sorry london yeah <laughs> that's one of those mornings um and you spent 13 years as an english teacher which by the way gives me a lot of respect for you instantly as a <laughs> former uh, teacher's assistant mm -hmm. so, and I you know I I shared my love of books with the kids that I worked with and I worked with special needs kids and so I worked with kids that had autism or I worked with kids who were in danger so every time I have a teacher on here I'm like yes somebody that <laughs> I can sort of connect with because a lot of the time I people on here who've been I mean, I, I was writing while I was teaching um, yeah. or helping with the teachers. So uh, it's nice to have somebody else who understands that awful schedule to kind of go, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote, um, so I wrote my first novel while I was still teaching. So there was a lot of, um, yeah, complicated scheduling going on. Yeah, because I, I, I know, like, from that moment you walk into the school, it's just crazy till you leave at the end like even your lunch and your breaks are not really yours because you're doing a million and one things while trying to have to eat at the same time so um yeah i always yeah. have a huge respect for people that teach because it's 
it's really not easy. And I think the general society thinks it's like such an easy job when it's actually not. So yeah, I I just had so much respect and love for you because I'm like, I understand this woman. Um, yeah, well, and it I was weird because I, I always got I always sort of bounced around different classes, and uh, I ended up spending ninety percent of my time in the teacher's lounge in the maths department. And it was so weird because, like, I'd go in there to eat lunch, and everybody was talking, <laughs> trying to eat really quickly because I know I've got to get back. And yeah. So, so yeah, no, uh, I think it's amazing, and I I actually thought I would get time. Uh, sort of at break time and lunch time to write and I, I didn't because I didn't know I'd have to be supervising the sort of children that were at high risk or the disabled children I didn't realize that was going to be part of my thing and I was like oh yeah. so I, instead of getting like an hour for lunch I'd get half an hour ten minutes if I was lucky so yeah, yeah. I mean I think schools run so much on the goodwill of teaching assistants and without um, people in the classroom doing that role things would fall apart extremely quickly um, and I was always immensely grateful for um, for the ones who supported me and the children that I was working with and I think that kind of writing because it is so intense your your work day in a school um, and like you said it's kind of every minute is is taken up with like a million your attention is pulled in a million different ways and so I think when I got home and um, my children went to bed which was another battle in itself <laughs> to get them there. Of course. Um, yeah. Then writing was kind of was at that point really an escape and a kind of a way to go to another world and to um, to to kind of unwind. I think to kind of create something else um, aside from sort of the stress or the grind or the you know general chaos of the normal day and and to go somewhere and do something that very much was just for me and that really wasn't for anybody else at that point. I didn't even think anybody else would read the book. So writing was something that I just felt like this is my time and it doesn't matter what the outcome is because this is what I'm doing for myself. It's a comfort thing as well. Like I had walked away because I wanted to be, you know, I, I hate saying standard, but like my, my family always said, oh, you got to get a stable job. And, you, you know, just, they had this very narrow window of what they expected and of course I being I've always wrote, wrote stuff and I've always been writing and I just was like okay I will do what they say and then realized no I just want to write I just want to be in that world and it was a creative release for me especially like the second year of COVID I was like stuck at home because I couldn't go to the school and I, I had to do it all online with the kids which I didn't realize mm -hmm. was going to be crazy. Yeah. No hard. idea what I was getting into with online teaching. <laughs> no. They should have done classes on that for us that are, you know, thrown in at the deep end. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. But no, like, that was my escape. Like, I had sections of the day when I was working at home that I wasn't supervising the kids and I wasn't running around after them. So I got to write again and it was it brought me back to that it brought me back to the love because I'd almost given up you know I'd been mm -hmm. writing for 10 years I had been an independent published author I had been with a traditional publishing contract in England I had just kind of almost burnt out in a way and then 
COVID kind of said no. It was like it was like somebody saying no. You're going to be a writer, whether you want to or not. So it's lovely to share that with you. How did you find sort of being locked in the house with COVID? Like, how was that experience for you as a writer? So, um, it it was a really strange period because um, I left teaching at the end of 2019 um, to yeah. write full time. So I um, so Ariadne had been um, I, I had a I had a book deal for Ariadne and to write my second novel, um, and I decided that. Um, I, I wanted to leave the school that I was at so I did uh, I worked on you know um, editing and starting my second novel and then Covid hit and it felt very much kind of that the that sort of my everything had turned upside down because my professional life had turned upside down I wasn't a teacher anymore I was doing this other job which was brand new and you know very very different and then we went into lockdowns and there was a pandemic and so um it felt like a really really surreal time and as i mentioned i've got children and my children are both in primary school so although i wasn't teaching anymore i had their homeschooling to do and it was yeah, it just a very <laughs> no it was not it was not fun and um, so it's this very intense and claustrophobic time that i think um has really come through in my second novel and um, electra which is out now um, because that is set against the backdrop of the Trojan War, and it's a story of three different women who are united by the fact that they are women who um, who are extremely angry. It's a novel really about female rage, this, this second novel, and yeah. I think that a lot of the feelings from lockdown really really found an outlet in that particularly the sections that are narrated by cassandra who is um, a trojan priestess who is besieged in the besieged city troy is um is under siege for 10 years and we see her side of that story and um, because i so wanted to tell some of the trojan myth stories which are so you know so well known that they are usually told down on the battlefield with the heroes it's achilles and agamemnon and, and Hector and I wanted to see it from the perspective of the women who are actually inside the city and I think the fact that we were all trapped inside our homes with this sort of unknown threat outside um, yep. was something that very much very much found its way into the book and I think that feeling of, of being trapped and being isolated it was it was somewhere for it to go somewhere for that kind of anxiety and fear to go so my second novel is definitely much darker and I think that that is um, a consequence both of the story that I'm telling which is based on a Greek tragedy but also I think the very much the the way the world was at the moment which is something that Greek mythology does for us it's like this kind of you know yeah. the the immense passage of time and the distance between us and and the origins of these myths but then it could that can contract and we can feel so close all of a sudden because these stories really about humanity yeah and that's what i love about you know what you were putting across because i read um silence of the girls yeah and i was just shocked in a way it totally mm -hmm. was not what i thought i was getting um not that i asked for it i was i was given it as an art um by the publisher and i'm i was just like well okay this this it was all male perspective in a way it's heavy male perspective and then you know yeah you get the sliver of this woman's thoughts and stuff like that but you could tell who'd written it if you know what i mean um and i love the idea of of reading that 
history back, but from that perspective of a woman who's struggling, who's being sort of put in these awful situations, and it's none of it's her fault, it's just circumstantial, I think is, is incredible. And for you to have that outlet during the pandemic and to be able to share that with all of us is an incredible gift, I must admit. It's an incredible gift from you to all of us readers. And yeah, I really admire just your dedication, especially during that hard time where you must have been balancing class with your kids, trying to help them with their, you know, their laptops or their tablets and their workbooks and everything else. And then trying to find that mental space to say, okay, I need to be writer, not mommy, writer now and figure out how to put all this together. That is incredible. And anybody who's managed to write a novel during this incredibly hard time because it's not over yet we're all trying to get back to normal but it's not quite there yet i i i hate using this word but it you you're saying to all of us because <laughs> you know a lot of us have been floundering you know reading anything we can get our hands on or finding any escape we can so yeah i mean it's amazing and to yeah anybody that can do that is is top marks in my book so I'm so lucky to have you on today um, oh, and I was you. so excited I couldn't sleep last night I had the jitters <laughs> I get like some people I get jitters with and other people I'm fine with but yeah I had the jitters last night with you because I'm like oh this one's coming on oh, I really oh, wow. to, my, my husband's like Crystal it's one o'clock in the morning go to sleep it's two o'clock in the morning shut up oh well thank He's you really not a night person he likes uh -huh. to sleep at night, so me being yeah. on last night and him having to drive buses today was not a good idea. Less than ideal. So, you know, so what, what inspired you to sort of write the, the books? What was your motivation? I know you love that time period, but was there something else that drew you to write it? Yeah, I mean, so there were, there were kind of, there were two two kind of strands um that that propelled me to write my first novel and I think something that you said about kind of being a little bit burnt out and kind of losing your um your way as a writer or identity as a writer really resonated because I had there's not a time in my life that I can remember not wanting to be a writer and not being fascinated by Greek mythology those are kind of two things that have always been a preoccupation for me um but writing throughout my 20s was something that I really really lost lost that connection with because it just seemed ridiculous it just seemed like other people write books other people get published that's not something for me um and I was not I didn't put the two these two passions together I didn't think about writing Greek mythology I was trying to write in different voices kind of different different genres rather and um, that just it didn't click I didn't find my voice as a writer until I came to Greek mythology and that I really have my son to thank because I was reading the story of Theseus and the Minotaur like I said a lot a lot of us come to it as children and um, because these are the stories that have kind of been sanitized for um for children's consumption these stories yeah. that have become just a story of you know a hero a monster um, and and the kind of subtleties and nuances get stripped away so I was reading him Theseus and the Minotaur and he said Oh, I wonder what happened to Ariadne. You know, she's in she's in the beginning of the story. Then what happened to her? And it kind of sparked it, it 
it, it sparked this connection in my in my mind. And I remembered back to my degree reading Ovid's Heroides. Um, Ovid was a Roman poet. He wrote these this collection of letters from women in Greek mythology. And one of the letters was written from Ariadne to Theseus. And in the letter, which um, a quote from it became the epigraph of the novel, Ariadne says, you will go back to Athens and you will boast about how you slew the Minotaur. Don't forget to tell them that it was me who made it happen. And of course, he deliberately <laughs> did forget to tell yep. everybody that one very conveniently. And I so I yep. thought, that's right. Um, so I thought, well, she she has a story to tell. And in fact, she's been demanding that this story be told um, for the last 2000 years. And it was one that I really wanted to read. And because I couldn't find anybody who had written it, I thought I need to write this myself. And so I made it actually a New Year's resolution to write that book. Um, I just wanted to write a novel from start to finish. And that was all, that was the only goal that I set myself. I, there was no pressure. I didn't think that anybody else was going to read it. So I wrote it really because I thought this is the book I want to read, which I think is the most um, I think is the best way to write a novel. <laughs> Here's a story it that is, needs to yeah, be told. I think I can tell it. Um, so that that was the inspiration to start writing and to write Ariadne. And um, when it came to writing my second novel, um, it really came back to that idea that I mentioned before of, of female rage, of this being an emotion that women are generally taught to suppress um, and that often gets turned inwards. But there are these these women of Greek mythology whose stories have really endured and resonated because they were unusual for women um, of, of any time in that they didn't do that. They turned their rage and their anger outwards and they tried to get justice the way that they saw um, that, that they saw it should be done. And that was the three women who are the narrators of Electra, which is Clytemnestra, Electra and Cassandra, who I've mentioned, who are these three women who get sucked into the conflict of the Trojan War and they have to deal with consequences. Yeah, that's... That is incredible. I just love that. I think that's really amazing. So I guess the question that I kind of have in my mind is, you know, when you were thinking about, because I grew up with um, Norse mythology, because that was, yeah. you know, I grew up in the Shetland Islands that was literally, you cannot move in Shetland without hitting Viking culture. It is, wow. It is from one end of island to the other is just steeped in it um and if you ever get the chance there's a beautiful edwardian manor that has been kept preserved perfectly in a little island called the island of vela and if you ever get the chance to see it it is it's like stepping back in time it really is mm -hmm. i might send you like the pictures that i have of inside yeah but it, it is it's stunning. And I, I love the idea of any chance I get to step back in time. Because I grew up reading Catherine Crookson and hearing that everyday blue-collar worker voice that she was able to capture just resonated with me. And I love stories mm -hmm. that you can connect to that it's not a time that you can just kind of go and experience. But in a yeah. book, you can time travel. It, it's a thing you can go back and you can read these stories and be a part of that so I mm -hmm. love bringing historical writers on and historical fiction writers on because it gives us an opportunity to time travel like who of us wouldn't love to time travel 
yeah and that's that's exactly it it's that feeling that you can step into a legend and you can experience it i think it's just amazing yeah and uh, i think i think that's the shetlander in me though kind of coming mm-hmm. out yeah i would say that because like you know we always speculated there's a settlement in shetland at the end of the island and um it's where the airport is actually when they they went to extend a runway they found this entire village and the vikings had left the village with everything still there their animals Mm -hmm. in the stall food on the table you know they had cloth on the looms everything was perfectly left as if they just vanished so storytelling was really kind of driven into us as kids and yeah it was weird because like english teachers would come up from the south and they would be teaching them and it was like the head teachers was always telling them we believe in like you know generating stories and stuff like that and i was lucky i got an english teacher called uh, mr tate and he said crystal you're a writer it's like don't listen to anybody else you're a writer i wish i had him all the way through to the end Mm -hmm. of my high school years but i didn't and i was so sad because he understood I had dyslexia and he didn't hold that against me and I think especially in rural areas it's very difficult for English teachers because when they know kids have got learning disabilities but they don't know how to teach them it is yeah. such a waste it's it's for the kids because like the mm-hmm. kid then suffers and I yeah. did like after leaving his class I struggled so much and it didn't matter I had a scribe or anything like that they still tore my work apart and Mm -hmm. especially with creative writing stories you write the story as a piece of you and then the teacher like pulls it apart you're just like you just want to curl up in a while and cry so i i love it when i have teachers on who keep the history alive who encourage sort of storytelling and that's what you're doing you're being that big representation of go write your dream you know go tell your story and I love that. I love that you're this beacon of it doesn't matter if it's historical, it doesn't matter if it's mythology, go write it. So I want to mm-hmm. thank you for that. Um, oh, thank because you. I know that there's a lot of listeners on this show who love mythology and who love kind of that whole world. And you're just giving us that hope that no matter, you know, because I write it um, and I've never published it, but I write it. And I just think it's great that you've been able to take it and just run with it and give us all a little hope that other, you know, mythology can be can be balanced out. I like to say the word balanced out because it's very one sided at the moment. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that this is the thing about myth is that you feel this kind of collective um ownership to of it and kind of I think just just real connection because like these are the stories you've grown up with like you're talking about that have kind of shaped your childhood your worldview and really informed your imagination then these are stories that you you should definitely be telling yeah yeah i mean it was it was crazy and i i hope that someone like you goes up there and you you kind of soak it in if you get a chance to soak it in Mm. because it is a beautiful place um However, if you're a teenager or a kid, you cannot get away with anything in Shetland because everybody knows you. Yeah, like, <laughs> can Everybody imagine. knows you. It's You don't get away with it. Even if you're, like, up for the holidays, there is, like, at least 15 islanders who will know who you are who will be like, oh, that's that's that 
lovely couple's kid. And mm -hmm. if you get lost, you're guaranteed somebody will take you by the hand and return you to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> guaranteed. I mean, it happened to me. I walked away from my mom at the supermarket. I think I was about six, and I was like, huh, where'd she go? And the next thing I had this, this um, teacher came up to me and just took my hand, walked me four miles down, and handed me back to my mom and went, girl, I think you lost something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love it. And the hearing it go up there, just, it's like, it's like magic, because especially if you're, you love mythology and you love history, it just soaks into you like a nice hot bath. And the, the inspiration to write is just, it's incredible. And yeah, it's they're beautiful. going to be opening this amazing um, family area in Unst. And Unst, again, has got the monks that disappeared. Um, their mm. actual temple is there. And there's so many stories about that if you speak to locals that they didn't know what had happened to them, so they made up their own. Yeah. And it's quite inspirational, especially when you see all the old houses and, you know, the big long gardens and stone walls and things like that. It really is stunning. You, you would absolutely adore it. Plus, they can't, your kids can't get lost. So <laughs> somebody will yeah. return them. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a, yeah, it sounds like a race of paradise, definitely. Yeah, and it's you get the beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but Northern Lights. Yeah, no, never. That's that's one of that's one of my dreams is to see the Northern Lights one day. So yeah, yeah definitely. Well, you don't have to go too far because if you go up there, um, the Northern Lights is pretty much every night during the summer. Wow. So also, it do, the sun doesn't set. Mm hmm. So it doesn't get dark so you get that kind of almost magical night time where you could literally sit outside and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and you can see everything and you can see the stars but it's like daylight it's so weird mm. um, my husband he had never seen it before and we took him up and he literally snapped a picture i think it was like two or three in the morning he got into the bathroom and it was like daylight outside and he couldn't believe it he always thought I kind of made it up. And then he went and he seen it for himself. He's like, wow. And he just stopped it and sent it to his sister. And he's like, look at this. So, yeah, it's it's a lovely, lovely experience. So going hey, that to amazing. your books that you've read um, sort of in the last kind of couple of years, what would you say that you've read that stuck with you the most that's, that you haven't quite shaken off yet? Well, um, so I'm desperately trying to get everybody to read this um, this book that I read on holiday a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, the Paper Palace um, Oh, by Miranda, what's her name? I can't remember it too, I've got it here. Uh, so it's the Paper Palace by Miranda Carly Heller. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so you, so you did what I do, you remembered the title but not the author. <laughs> Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Um, so yes, so I I I, um, I bought it in um I was in Wales um doing a bookshop event um in May and I I said to um to one of the one of the staff there yeah I'm just I'm going on holiday I want a book that I won't be able to put down I just want something that I can get completely lost in she said well yeah. take the paper palace 
and it's so intriguing and I've been trying to get everybody I know to read it so that I can talk to them about it it's one of those books where you, uh, you finish yeah. it and then you have got to discuss it and um, so yes I'm working on everyone at the moment um <laughs> because it's just it's um I don't think I've ever read a book actually that um builds a world as powerfully as this one and um, so it's set on Cape Cod um yeah wow. um it's set and it's um it's the story of a woman it starts with her committing infidelity outside um outside the family home while her husband is in inside the house and then it tells you the story of the next 24 hours after that interspersed with all of these flashbacks to her life and what led her up to that moment and um, it goes to much much darker places than I expected it to it's kind of every kind of twist every reveal is something that kind of really takes your breath away it's really shocking it's so beautifully crafted it's so clever and the ending is one of the it's one of those endings where you have to ring somebody up and just say oh what was that <laughs> you know <laughs> I um, know that yep Yep, I've yes. read a few like that. Yeah, <laughs> and it just it gives you. I mean, so it 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 left me with so many questions, and I don't mean that as in any kind of critical way. Um, it so many things to talk about, so many things yeah. to explore, and it's one of those books that I think yes, I would go back, I would read that again, and I would put all the pieces together again, and I think that I would find another story. I think I would find another layer to it every time I go back. So. Um, yeah, I absolutely, uh, yeah, I was riveted. It, it com completely did the job that I asked it to. Well, that's great. And it, it, to, to find books like that, honestly, totally worth the wait to, to get to that point. Because um, I had that experience. I recently just read Into the Dark by Fiona Cummings. And I did the same thing. Yeah. I was like, I have, to <laughs> I have to talk to somebody about it. And luckily enough, my mother-in-law reads similar books to me. So I'm like, slammed it on yeah. the table you gotta read this you just gotta read this and she's like okay how many cups of coffee have you had today calm down I will read it <laughs> so I'm still waiting for her to read it but it's that kind of I get that excitement where I start jumping up and down that is like what I classify an amazing book and one that yeah. just stays on your shelf because you cannot bear to part with it that is the that is the definition for me, what you know, a saving book is is worth to me. Mm -hmm. I just think you you find one of those is exceedingly you're exceedingly lucky. Um, yeah. So if you had infinite time to sit and read and just enjoy books, who would you pick? And like you can have an author and you can have a series. So. Who would you pick to read as an author and who would you pick to read as a series? Oh. It is um, a toughie. Yeah. Well, because so I mean I do I do read a lot. And so um I kinda I think, you know, the, the authors that I really love, um, I think it's it's so exciting when you find an author you fall in love with a book and um, you find out they have a really a really extensive backlist and you can work your way through it um, yeah. so I absolutely adore Barbara King Culver she is probably 
my okay. favorite author um, and she definitely has books still that I haven't read all of so I think um, but definitely Barbara Kingsolver also Kate Atkinson for the same reason and um, because both of them write books which are um very again I think you know so so thought-provoking so right. books that you really want to have the time to read and to concentrate and to to really really get lost in so um yeah so I still have books by them which I haven't discovered yet and so if I had an infinite amount of time I would definitely um definitely read all of those because I, I think as well with being an author you get sent so many books and it's always about reading something new and there's something coming out and you know there's a new debut author or there's like a, a new book by this person coming out and and read it and and um before before it's out um so there's a real focus on newness and novelty so I think that that can mean that sometimes yeah actually just catching up can be a little bit more difficult to find the time to do yeah exactly like I I take that time when I'm in the bath like I just lock the door and I'm like right okay I'm gonna read like x amount of this book because I I just want to read you know I just want to yeah. get lost and then when I get to bed at night I do a little bit of sewing that's like my way to kind of chill myself out and then when it's time to kind of like go to sleep I'll spend a wee bit of time just reading till I start to fall asleep and then I set the mm -hmm. book down and I go to sleep so those are like it's weird because I've always been connected into books that way because I got told by teacher um if you want to get your dyslexia under control you've got to read you got to read okay. a lot um thank goodness i had that advice because it has helped so much it's been weird mm -hmm. so i love that i love that you can just if you can find people that you can just sort of feel like you're coming home to read and that it's generally exciting comforting feeling then you yeah. found an incredible author and you've got that i say that comfort level that we all kind of seek in a way because you have that yeah. contentment for that time that you're reading that book you're content you're happy and that that's a true true gift um mm. so yeah is there an author past and present who's influenced inspired and maybe exciting excited about reading and about writing and who are they and why um, i mean more than one <laughs> definitely more than <laughs> one um i would say that an author an author who's been really excited about writing and an author who I'm always excited to read, even though she writes in a completely different genre to me, um, I would say would be Marion Pease. Um, oh, because okay. I, I love her books. And when you were talking about kind of a book that you feel like you're coming home to, I feel like the characters that she's created, the families that she's created, um, they feel like friends. And I find that um, as well as being an author who is just so 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 good at creating those worlds and so good at creating those people who feel real and um, she really explores every aspect of of human life and she goes to you know her books are kind of packaged up as as um like being romantic and being funny and um, that they are books about grief depression addiction all kinds of things um which are which are shocking and disturbing and just incredibly powerfully moving and i find the way that marion keys talks um on twitter or in interviews about writing to be really inspirational and she's talked a lot about writing as something that kind of saved her from um from alcohol addiction herself and from being something that she 
that you know she's she's faced kind of a lot of difficulties in her own life and she's had yeah. this huge success at writing and she's made all of these connections with you know she's kind of given so much hope and so much inspiration to so many people I think that that these are things which um which are survivable that she has survived and that she has gone on to make really really beautiful and brilliant books about yeah and I've as I said like I have that experience whenever I read sort of Catherine but she's also my kick up the butt and go right kind of novel mm-hmm. so like when I read I'm like oh if she can do it I can do it what am I doing why am I making excuses just go get you know go right um yeah exactly so that I, yeah I think she is like that you know the I'm going to totally butcher this but Maya and Keys she offers that she offers that inspirational ride that Sophie yeah. can offer and the only other person I've ever read that's that's sort of been like her was Leslie Pierce. I don't know if you've discovered her yet. No. But she wrote, she is a lot like Marianne Keyes, except for she could take that gift and she can put it in historical settings or she could put it in contemporary settings. No matter what mm-hmm. she writes, you get that emotional roller coaster and you yeah. get that exceedingly fun experience. It, there's fun in there and there's joy and there's contentment in there but then there's also terror in there and mm-hmm. real struggle and you know the things that make a book really good um yeah so it's, it's it's sometimes good to have these shows because we can sort of trade authors a little bit and be like yeah. oh you gotta read this book it, it's a good way of like almost exchanging ideas and having a little bit of fun mm-hmm. um and that's why i love it because you can also talk books <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. you get a free friend for like an hour to talk about whatever <laughs> books you know that you're dying to talk about so yeah. when you go into a bookstore is there a specific genre that you're automatically drawn to that you just like just pilot to automatically pilot to yeah I mean I definitely am always drawn to historical fiction um and always always drawn to beautiful covers um so yeah so I go I go to the part of the bookshop that my book is in I suppose um, and find <laughs> and find all these other books around it um but I do what something that I do really um that I found with becoming an author and kind of meeting lots of other authors and meeting lots of people um in the in the publishing industry meeting reviews and so on is that it does really broaden my reading range a lot so I've been sent books that maybe I wouldn't have picked up or people in conversations like this have recommended somebody that I wouldn't have wouldn't have come to and so I found that actually you know sometimes I do want to read a thriller sometimes I do want to read horror um, and these are books that I probably hadn't really come to very much or wouldn't have automatically been drawn to so I do um I definitely like the um the fact that you can that, that there's that there's always more there's always more to find yeah and I always say there's never enough time for all the books we want to read um, well no no and you know that's that's the thing like somebody said to me the other day crystal there's never enough time for you to write every story that you've got in your brain and i'm like no "Mm, she's got a point Um, (laughs) but you know i i like to try i'll give it a good old try you know has there ever been a book that you've you picked up and you were like why did i read this or why did i start this um 
Yeah, and so, I mean, there are so many books out there that I would definitely say, you know, if if a book's not working for you, life is too short to yeah, persevere with a book that you... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, so I don't I don't feel bad about doing that. And, and quite often, I think it's so much influenced by mood as well. And so there's books I've just thought, oh, no, I'm not feeling it, put it down. And then, you know, maybe a couple of months later, just this is amazing. I love this book. How, how did I not see it before? So I think yeah. it's it's a very subjective um circumstantial kind of process but the the book that I would say that I wish I'd never picked up um is absolutely no reflection on the book or the author actually one that I had to teach an extract from um as oh, okay. when I was working as an English teacher and um, I taught an extract it came up on a mock exam paper I believe from A Child in Time by Ian McEwan, which I imagine is an absolutely brilliant book, but I am never going to read the book. Um, because I have found that as a parent, there are things now that since having my children, I cannot, cannot read, cannot watch, yeah. cannot allow into my mind, um, because it is too, it's too traumatic. And in that novel, a child goes missing at the supermarket, a toddler, and is oh. never found. And there is no explanation. And the and the scene that I had to that was that came up in the extract was that moment of panic where the father looks around and the child is gone. And I found it almost impossible to get through it's standing in front of a room of teenagers. Um because because books take you to these places, they transport you. And that is yeah, a place that I, I never ever want to go to. That 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 was reading my worst nightmare in print. The, yeah. the not knowing I think was worse than reading reading a scene um of, of violence or you know loss or, or, or some something concrete and um, things things which I have written myself in you know Greek mythology takes you to some um to some terrible places and certainly motherhood and losing children is a really integral part of the ancient world in particular yeah, it is. and these stories so these are things that I come up against in my own writing and other books I read but there's something about in that novel the not knowing which yeah. I couldn't bear I just could not bear it so the book I'm sure is magnificent <laughs> and, I'm, um, yeah, and it, certainly it does it for like, somebody else yeah yeah and I think that Ian McEwan is a brilliant writer and um, that that book not for me yeah, I had the same experience. I, I can't remember the title or the author, which is really <laughs> bad, but I picked up a book and it was the this mom who was, you know, she had three kids. She took her youngest to the playground and she sat on the bench and she fell asleep and woke up and the kid was gone. And she was only like, like asleep for what, a minute or two. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I couldn't read it after that. I have no, no idea if they found the kid or not. But I do know that I think it was either ITV or BBC turned it into a TV series. And I stumbled on it and I was like, wait, this is that book I couldn't read. <laughs> and I had to turn it off because I was like, oh, <laughs> it's that instant moment where you hit a button, any button. So, yeah, no, I understand that. Like, um, incredibly well like I, I couldn't imagine just falling asleep in the playground that is my worst nightmare falling asleep in the playground and waking up and my kid being gone um, mm-hmm. yeah no, that that terror was too much for me that was too realistic for me so I was out so going into your writing how did you kind of get your mind to a place where you could create the obstacles in your story 
for the people in your story? Like, how did you get into that mindset of this is this is where I need to be? Um, so I think because what I write are, are reimaginings of myths that already exist. Um, I don't I don't know if that perhaps makes it easier to get into the mindset because I can already be absorbed in the story, um, before I start writing. So I think that um I, I kind of approach writing in that way as it's it's more of a kind of it, it's filling in the spaces, it's kind of putting the put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um yeah. which so it, you kind of approach it as um as a, as a problem, it's kind of almost like this is an incomplete story because um there's there's something missing about these characters' motivations or you know the the people in the story who actually have the interesting story and not the ones who've been telling it so far. So that's that's what I need to find. So to get into that mindset is um I think it probably starts with asking those questions about what what is going to make this make sense what is going to make this feel real why would why would these characters behave in this way um and i think that it's it's very much a kind of immersive experience to just i don't it's, it's really i think it's really difficult actually to to kind of pinpoint how you get there um, yeah. with, with writing that it's it's just something that you just you do you kind of open a door to it in your mind and step through I think um so so it's quite hard to kind of work out well where is that door and how did I find it um yeah but I mean, I definitely do things to, um, I, I think that now I write, um, I have kind of set times when I can write when my children are at school, really. So I definitely have um, kind of ways to sort of signal to my brain, this is this is the time we need to um, yeah. get down to it. Because you can't just sit and wait for that inspiration to strike. You do have to just okay, actually yeah. write. And some, sometimes just starting to write, even when I'm really not feeling it, um it, it does that is how you how how you find it you just just kind of think I'll write it I can rewrite it later and then you find that actually no it's coming now and um, but I do things like I um I light a candle I um put on forest sounds or sounds of the ocean definitely I think that that is really helpful it's just almost um kind of creating habits I think because yeah. it's not it's not like um, when I was teaching and you go into school and you're in that environment, you're in the classroom, the bell rings, you start. Yeah. Writing is a little bit different. And I think that being at home and not having somebody, not having 30 children in front of me. So, you know, I had Stereo. to teach a lesson whether yeah. I felt like it or not. And um, yeah, there has to be a way of sort of like creating, especially, like I said, working from home of that kind of I am I'm not in domestic mode I'm not kind of at home or I'm not lying on the sofa watching tv or whatever else yeah. this is work time so um yeah so I think that you have to kind of create that that routine and those sort of signals of like this is I am doing my job now I am not doing something else I I totally get that because when I have to do certain scenes I turn music on and I have little things that I put together so that I know that this is the time I'm supposed to be writing not mm -hmm. researching not looking for new authors to invite on the show but I'm yeah. supposed to be writing it doesn't always work and I do sometimes get distracted um mm -hmm. but you know it's it's that moment of 
I can, you know, I will put on sounds for that scene. So if it's like a horror kind of panicked filled scene, I'll turn on something. Yeah. You can go on Spotify and get thriller stuff. Or you can, you know, there's like a literally a genre for everything. So I just Mm -hmm. pick, okay, I need a horse scene. Okay, so I need sounds of being in a kind of horse environment. Okay, that works. And and that's what gets me going. Um, so it's nice to hear somebody else that has to like almost create an atmosphere to kind of get that that going. Um, definitely helps because I feel less alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, what inspired you to enter the genre that you chose for your writing piece? Like, what was the aha? This is this is where I'm going. It just clicked. It it really did, I think, in a way that trying to write other kind of genres just had never felt natural. Um, I just, as, as soon as I started writing uh, my first novel in Ariadne's voice, I just, um, I just felt like this is what I'm supposed to be writing. Yeah. So, um, it, and it, it just felt so much easier than anything else I had tried to write. So, I just I think I knew and it it gave me the faith that I felt like what I was writing was going to be good I you know I I had a confidence that I think I hadn't felt before um just this kind of kernel of belief I think I just thought I, I think it comes back to um when you're writing the thing that you want to read I think that that gives you that belief that somebody else will want to read it as well and that really that's very sustaining I, I certainly know that there's so many writers I've had on that said they couldn't find what they wanted to read and they just wanted to create their own shelf of stories that yeah. they themselves would, would read. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I completely connect in with that and I understand that. So when you're writing, is it like a movie in your head or is it just a jigsaw puzzle where you're putting the pieces together? I think it feels quite cinematic I think um yeah I I definitely see scenes play out around me um so I think that the actual process of writing um I I think that I have quite a cinematic imagination and I definitely feel it unfolding that that is awesome because like some people it depends on the genre and I've discovered that like if I have a crime writer on it's a jigsaw if I have yeah, a romance writer that. on it, it's a movie. So it's so weird to have that questioning because it's almost like a survey. So you can see like how <laughs> genres actually influence the writer. So it's kind of awesome to ask that one because it gives the gives the listener almost like a viewpoint where they listen to like ten episodes and they're like, oh wow. So if I'm reading crime, then they're kind of like piecing it together on a murder board. Yeah. Or if I read romance, they're just sitting in a cinema watching this play out. So yeah, it's it's an awesome question. So which character have you written that you would say has stayed with you the longest, that has just had that impact on you where you feel like you're kind of carrying her around a little bit or him around a little bit? So the character of Cassandra uh, in Electra, I think, is probably um, is, has really left her mark. So Cassandra is famous in Greek mythology because she is given the gift of prophecy by the god Apollo, um, but when she rejects his advances, he turns that into a curse. Um, 
and so that she can see what's going to happen she can see the future but nobody will ever believe her she'll never be believed so i felt that um just just for a start the fact that you have a woman who has got great clarity and knowledge and insight but is dismissed as hysterical a mad woman too emotional all of these things um she feels like such a very resonant very powerful character for today yeah, she really seems to stand as a metaphor in so many ways for women's voices being silenced and women's concerns and and um, and and knowledge being dismissed. So Cassandra feels like a really important character in mythology from that point of view, and she also has such an incredibly tragic story. And um, she's she's really stayed with me because I was I I think this was one of these um something that you come up against when you are doing retellings or reimaginings of mythology is that you have these character arcs and you have these events and um, that you that are, that are predetermined by the myth and you can make decisions yeah. to change them and obviously I do but there are some some things that happen or some character journeys that you will choose to keep the same and with Cassandra's I would say that was one of the that was one of the ones that I found the most difficult where I you know usually I have a very clear idea of where I'm going to stay faithful to the mythology or which version of mythology I'm going to stay faithful to because there are so many different ways that these stories can be told and um, and sometimes I am deciding to diverge and to do something that is that is my own with it and um, and with Cassandra that was her story is the one where I wrestled with it the most because I was very tempted to take her story somewhere somewhere different to to because because she's so poignant because her her fate is one that is is so terrible in so many ways and so very much undeserved that um that yeah that stayed with me for a while wondering what 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 could happen to Cassandra how 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 could things be different for Cassandra and and would it be the right thing to make things different for Cassandra and what what does that do to the story that I'm telling and what does that do to the themes that I'm exploring um that's something that definitely lingered for me yeah I love that um I think that we all have that one character that just stays with us and Mm -hmm. doesn't quite leave or doesn't want to leave um and I think yeah has that impact on her writing which is you know it's incredible is there a character that you wish you could write more about is there somebody that just has stuck with you and you're like i really wish this you know i could write more about her or him yeah there's so there's lots of there's lots of little um cameos um of characters in 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 mine because um there's this entire universe of of mythology and and so many um so many very like you know famous very notable very interesting characters who some of some of them I can tell the story to I I think when I'm writing any of my novels there's always maybe three or four other novels bubbling away under the surface I could write this instead I could just branch off here and I could tell this character's story because they've got some fascinating um episodes or journey and so um in from from my first novel from Ariadne I think that you could write uh, Medusa obviously was was a was a really crucial part of the novel, but she wasn't in the novel. She was only there as as a as a story referred to. And she she ended up playing a very important role. But Medusa is 
such a fascinating, such a brilliant character from Greek myth. Um, because again, I mean, like Cassandra, she carries so many echoes for for women today. That she is she's monstered because she is made a victim, and then she is blamed um, for what she has suffered. So there's there is so much to do with that character and part of me did really want to go on to write a lot more about Medusa. Also in that novel I have Dionysus who is the god of wine and revelry but also the god of some very very dark things as well Um, (laughs) and I think that you know Dionysus could could, he was only a part of the book but he could have he could write an entire series of novels about Dionysus and so then that would be very different again and yeah there are there are always, always characters that um, that I would love to expand on. Um, from Electra, where um, I'm, where I spend some time in Troy. Um, there are other Trojan women who are very interesting, because um, there's Andromache, the wife of Hector, um, and I think that if somebody was to write a novel about them, that would be incredibly beautiful. A lot of people ask me why I didn't write Helen's story in the novel. Um, so yeah, so basically the answer to that question is so many. So many that you, you kind of have this universe in your head where you're like, if I reach out and I touch something, that's the next one I can tell. Um, so is there a character yeah. out of that list that you, if your publisher was listening, you would kind of nudge them to say, hey, can you let me write this one? Well, it's difficult because there's there's also the feeling that once they've kind of appeared in in the novel and they've they've kind of played their purpose, I do wonder, well, could you know, it, could I then really go back to them or or have I have I done it now? Um, so I'm not. I I think that I'm always always quite eager to move on to something quite new rather than looking back. But maybe with the passage of some time and some distance then I think I could definitely return. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely sounds awesome. And I did try people to kind of get a hint of maybe somebody in the future. <laughs> so, what <laughs> oh, have, well, yeah. What Sorry, go on. have you um, started and not found helpful? Like, has there been writing techniques that you've tried and you thought, Ugh! because they've frustrated you or they've just not worked for you? Um, I feel like the worst writing advice I ever had um, that held me back for years, in fact, was write what you know. And I think that's probably because I misinterpreted that and took it far too literally. And so I thought that I really had to only write about things that I had experienced myself. And I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a great leap of intelligence I don't know why I never made it to realize that of course authors don't do that because if they did you would not have you wouldn't have crime novels for a start unless there are some very very murky secrets existing um, amongst the crime writing community I don't know um so yeah I, I really I felt that was like a very diminishing piece of advice because it makes you feel like you don't have a story worth telling uh, well, I mean, that's how that's how I took it and so I thought well I can't be a writer because you know I haven't done enough things and my life hasn't been interesting enough and nobody will want to read about it um, and it was it was it was realizing that write what you know means writing about the human condition <laughs> um, yeah, and that you don't have to have directly experienced events to know 
what what these things would feel like and I think it's so much the case with mythology where um things happen on this very kind of heightened extreme stage where there really are gods walking amongst people and there really are monsters and there really are magical and and fantastical things happening but at their heart these are stories about what it means to feel love and to experience loss and grief and fear and joy and all of these things which you have felt um, regardless of you know you don't have to have been abandoned on an island to know what it feels like to be ghosted for example and so you can yeah, you can no, feel what these characters at some point <laughs> right um and so yeah so it so i i think that um yeah you you these are stories about the human heart and so you can tell these stories so i i really let myself be hamstrung by that for a very long time yeah it's it's a, it's an awful piece of advice um yeah. <laughs> I had teenagers who would say to me, you know, how can you write when, you know, you, you've had a, a health condition that's, like, hampered your life? Like, how could you tell these stories? And I'm like, okay, you're going back to that piece of advice. And then I have to all of a sudden do it and kind of give yeah. away the trade secret of it's writing the human condition. It's writing what you know, whether it's romance, whether it's, you know, you're in a fantasy world and all you care about is fantasy that's what you write so I feel like I've always kind of like broken that fourth wall with some of them given the inside trader secrets but that's the thing like you said it holds people back and it it prevents that kind of openness and ability to share those stories and it's really important that we we break that down and let people feel like we are a much more open community as writers so Mm -hmm. moving into your life what is the first thing that you do when you want to de-stress from writing and editing and you know kids and family and life and go swimming (laughs) i find being in the water um does all of those things for me it is absolutely like a cure-all i find um that yeah um, I, I, and if I'm not swimming, I love to just be by the water. I love to go to the sea. Um, or, yeah, I, I find it just incredibly soothing and it really puts everything into perspective. Yeah, I mustn't agree up next to the ocean in Shetland because you can't go anywhere without hitting the sea. It's, it's spooky. Mm-hmm, that it's like ideal. this weird shadow that follows you around. <laughs> you just sort of look yeah, back and you're like, I love Damn, that. there's the water again. But yeah, I get that. Like, I I have that connection. Of, I cannot be away from the ocean. It just keeps kind of mm. keeps pulling me back to it. So yeah, I love that. What um what hobbies do you enjoy, and which is the ones you wish you could explore more? Um. So yeah, I wish I wish that I was better at gardening. Um, because I really yeah. I, I really love to make things grow and I really love to put out in the garden. I love, um, I love flowers. I love plants. I love trees. <laughs> I love, I love to be out um, in nature. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, I don't have, I don't, I feel like I don't have the time. I don't have the expertise. Um, I'm not very good at it. Um, and that, that I always find a little bit frustrating. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I have a mother-in-law who loves, loves gardening. And I just don't have that inner part of me that just can 
drive towards no. the garden the way she does so i totally no, understand my, it my mum is like that in fact she volunteers for the rhs so she doesn't just maintain her own beautiful garden she goes and maintains other beautiful gardens for people to go and visit and so i do get her to come around and and help me i.e do it for me but um, it's something I would like to be much much better at myself yeah I must admit like I, I would love to be able to do it too do you like crafts are you somebody that kind of finds crafts and creativeness of, of physically doing something with your hands relaxing yeah I do and actually um it's like it's a terrible like blight of the modern world but I find myself um you know gravitating to my phone by default and spending far too much time on that um when in fact you realize it's so much more fulfilling and you feel so much better if you do something I mean I got very into jigsaw puzzles during lockdown like I think lots of people did um and I think that yeah just it is I mean it it is much much better I think for your mental health um yes. than staring at a screen a tiny little screen or you know scrolling through social media or reading the headlines um so I do yeah I do yeah. enjoy it and I definitely don't make enough time in my life for it is there particularly like one craft that you feel most drawn to or um, well, I used to I used to knit. I haven't done that for a really long time. Um, a couple of Christmases ago, I decided to cross stitch all of my Christmas cards. I really enjoyed it. I haven't gone back to that. Um, so yeah, it's time I think consuming that, kind of that one. <laughs> very time consuming, but really really satisfying. Um, yeah. So I love that. I have a friend who is really good at crocheting, and I think that um I would really love to. I, I think because you can create something, um really like that really beautiful and also functional and that you you yeah. know that you could you can give your friends baby blankets when they when their babies are born and or you can wrap your children in a shawl that you've made I think is really um, there's something really really special and something very meaningful about that so um th these would those, those are the kind of crafts that I'm drawn to but again I don't do yeah no I I do like I do take time out of my day to physically do cross stitch um, because to me that just it calms everything down inside of me and it helps lower my brain to a point where I'm like okay I can relax I can write or I can do whatever I need to do because I've taken that time to sort of slow myself down and you can't mm. hurry and cross stitch you can't because you just stab your finger so <laughs> it physically yeah. makes you slow down and appreciate every stitch and just relax and I think it's I don't know what I'd do without it sometimes, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, so I, myself, I have um, idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis, as, as listeners know, and that makes me slow down and appreciate the day and all the small things. What would you say makes you slow down and smell the roses? Um, I mean, I might take this really literally and say going for a walk in the woods and, you know, um, and actually concentrating on on um, the world around and really taking in and absorbing it I think that we definitely live in a world of constant distraction and I am incredibly prone to falling prey to that myself and so I will so often be walking along that I'm listening to a podcast and I'm checking social media and uh, you know you kind of don't do one thing at a time anymore um, yeah, that's so, very true. 
yeah so actually having to do that actually kind of it feels like an effort now I think to do that to go out and, and just focus on your surroundings and where you are um but I I think that it's a really useful thing to do I think it's really important for in terms of encouraging your own creativity and your imagination to not constantly be filling your mind with things um so yeah so and I think I think that just going for a walk is really helpful for that um I also find if I'm really stuck and this is this is my least favorite tip to pass on and I hate it myself personally but um I once solved a really difficult plot problem when I was doing the ironing (laughs) and that's my my worst household chore but I will say that there is something to be said for doing something that doesn't involve um you kind of switch your brain off don't you You kind of you you are just kind of doing something automatic and I think that that can really help your mind work through something that you didn't even know necessarily you were trying to work out so if things get really bad I go and iron clothes yeah um but yeah things do have to really really I, I have to have got really stuck before I resort to that no, I, I know that if I get super stuck, that's the one thing I know I can go do. And it just like shakes it loose and, and I get where mm-hmm. I need to go. So where's your favorite place to curl up during the day with a good book? Is it your garden, cafe, readers? Where do you like to go to just read and relax? Well, last summer I um, made myself, um, a, the, the room in the house that was kind of the general dumping ground that just you know happened um yeah we, we all have into, one of those yeah well we turned it into a study for me um it's where I'm sitting right now so I've got bookshelves behind me um and yeah so we've put I've put like a really nice sofa bed in here um by the window and I've got all of my favorite books all around so I've made it into a really calming really restful space so I come in here all the time no, that's really good because um, I in Shetland I had like a specific chair, and I would mm-hmm. sit by the fire. And if it was snowing or raining, it was really good to sit there and just read. And I loved yeah. it. And then we've just moved again, so I'm trying to figure out where my new spot is right now. It's like <laughs> in the bath, but I need like a spot that's not the bath to read in. Yeah, so, yeah I totally, totally get you on that one. <laughs> So we're now into the word game, which is uh, us coming to the end of the podcast. Now, there's always a theme. This is the inside joke. I always mm-hmm. come up with a theme for people when I'm taking them on the show. Like, if I look them right. up and I look at their faces, I always get this idea of, you know, if you and me were to suddenly meet randomly throughout time and space, where would it be kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wonder if you will figure out the theme and the place by the words. Okay, right. So it's a bit, okay. bit of a game for the both of us and fun for them to listen to. Okay. Uh, so your first word is autumn. Autumn. So what I would associate with autumn, like first thing, um, on for books, I'm going to say the first book that comes to mind is Anne of Green Gables and the line that Anne has about living in a world without Octobers. Um, I that it that. wouldn't, it, you wouldn't be worth living in a world that didn't have Octobers. Yeah. I really love that. <laughs> what about leather? Leather. What does that bring to mind? Um, oh, that's not bringing anything to mind. <laughs> when I when I did it, I thought of Silence of the Girls. 
because they've right. got leather as the, the parts of their armor that keeps the armor on. And she, she yeah. vividly talks about the smell of the leather. So that just, oh, I don't definitely. know why that came to my head. But, yeah, yeah no, I can see that, yeah. Uh, saddles. Saddles. Um, saddles. First thing that comes to my mind when I think of saddles would be um the Euripides play um Hippolytus because which um Phaedra's story in Ariadne is based on because he is very he's very into horses. <laughs> Hippolytus. He uh he likes horses a lot more than he likes people, certainly women. Oh, there you go. Um, well, the next one is girth, <laughs> which is the uh, strap that goes underneath the horse to connect the saddle to the animal. Um, and I, I explain that because some of my listeners are American, so they have different terminology than us. So that's just a... Right, okay, so... <laughs> well, when you say the word girth, I've got to say that like where my mind goes on a literary level um, is to the really steamy Mills and Boone novels I used to read when I was a teenager. I feel like the word girth came up there in a different context. (laughs) What about bridles? Bridles. Oh, see, that makes me think immediately of a scold's bridle. Um, You know, uh, women uh, witch hunting, women being paraded around the town in a scold's bridle as as a humiliation. So I guess some really dark historical fiction would would come up for that i can't think of a specific example but that's definitely where it takes me yeah i do i kind of like that what about soap soap oh soap um so because i read a lot of historical fiction i feel like soap doesn't come up enough (laughs) the ancient world always feels like quite quite a grubby place in so many ways um so what does soap make you think of um well for me the dispossessed by ursula right l jane she talks about soap and like he always washes his hands so i don't know why but yeah i of everything i read in that book that stuck in my head Obviously, that, that's making me think immediately of Macbeth, of Lady Macbeth out down spot and washing her hands over and over again, trying to cleanse herself of the guilt. Yeah, that's that's yeah. where that takes me. Well, there you go. You got there. What about <laughs> boot polish? Boot polish. Boot polish. Um, oh, I'm feeling... So for boot polish, and I, like first first thing I think of is all the books about boarding schools I used to read when I was a kid. Um, like Roald Dahl's boy or for non-fiction or for um, fiction I used to love things like Mallory Towers and so on I just I feel like polishing your shoes would be part of that quite military regime that they inflicted on children in boarding school I love that so that's the last word have you Mm -hmm. figured out what my theme was no, <laughs> I'm really confused. I don't know how all of those things fit together at all. I kind of imagined us being at this polo match in England with all these fancy riders and eating oh, nice. cakes and the smell of leather, the horses running around and the game being played and seeing the horses and stuff. So that was my sort of um, my nudge at, you know, the perfect place for all these amazing authors to meet. And it's like, oh, seems wow. to be my historical place, all my historical yeah. authors I have on. 
Um, yeah, I that, think I have one contemporary author in that, that little uh, meeting spot. So. <laughs> I just imagine you with the big hat and the long, beautiful dress and, mm-hmm. you know, just oh, yeah, definitely. taking Mickey out of the menace or playing polo and falling off their horses. Yeah, that's it. That sounds a bit Bridgerton to me as well. Which um, I'm also I've read I've read the first three in the Bridgerton series, and really, yeah, I I like that. I like that kind of that Regency kind of. Have you watched world. the TV series? Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed them. Shona Lang does an amazing job um, with everything they do, like whether it's Grey's Anatomy or Station Nineteen mm-hmm. or Bridgerton they do an incredible job if you ever get a chance um inventing anna you would really enjoy that that was another one that oh, they yeah. did and it is funny but it's trying to work out is she lying or isn't she lying is the most fun of, i've ever had like i've never had a show where <laughs> i actually had to think and they yeah. did really give me that so that would be my, oh, uh, my Netflix recommendation, so to speak. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'll look that up. Thank you. Well, it's been an honor to have you on, and we extend an open invitation. So if you've got a, another book coming out, then please mm-hmm. feel free to email me and we'll have you back on because I know my, my listeners will have loved hearing from you. And yeah, this will be out in the second week of December. So. We'll have a bit of fun and a bit of laugh. But yeah, please feel free to come back and and talk to me again. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you very much. It was really nice to speak to you.